Okay, good morning. Praise the Lord. Praise Him indeed. Um, are we on? Almost. Okay. So while they are organizing that part uh, of the service, let me just try and be central. I think that's okay. Okay, thank you very much. Um, anybody new here? This is your first time today. You've just come in. Oh, wow, welcome. Um, welcome, it's lovely to have you. I had said hello earlier, but on behalf of the church, <laughs> welcome. Um, everybody else is a regular, I think, or has been coming, uh, because there's a test. Eh? So if you are <laughs> not new, you're going to be under a test in a few minutes. But it's lovely anyway to have everybody here gathered together as a congregation. Um, it's lovely to worship and to praise the Lord and be with the people of God. Um, we started a very short series. Just, we're just going to do three Sundays on this, starting from last week, on uh, what it means to pray for ourselves as well as praying for others. The topic of prayer is a very, very big topic. So we just narrowed down on this and we thought we would really spend some time on how to effectively pray for ourselves as well as pray for others, okay? So we're going to focus, so we are, our aim is to focus on prayers, particularly in the New Testament uh, that were used by uh, the Apostle Paul, because he's really the person who wrote a lot of the New Testament. We're going to look at the prayers uh, that he prayed. Um, last week, um, does, Moira, does anybody remember what Moira preached on? Which particular prayer? From which book? Let's start from there. Which book? From the book of Philippians. Okay, we had some people who were awake from the book of Philippians. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give out some prizes, if I'm, and I'll ask some questions regarding that prayer. Okay, it's open book, so you can go into your Bible. <laughs> um, so anybody, can anybody say what that prayer is, the one that we did last week? Hopefully you've been praying it for yourselves as well as for others. <laughs> don't put it on the board, Jimmy. Don't put it on the board. <laughs> Anybody remember? Yes? Just, just speak up a bit. I can't hear you. You can say the prayer. Yes, okay, super. Uh-huh. Wow. Let me give you a present, <laughs> just for getting that far. <laughs> Someone help me. <laughs> wow, thank you so much. At least you've covered the basics. Eh? Your love may abound more and more. So talking about the growth in love that we are to really aspire to. That's, that's beautiful. Your love may grow more and more together with true knowledge, perfect discernment, so that we're able to make the right choices. Really, that was also an emphasis in the prayer. So, wow, that's absolute. You know, I, I, I didn't remember it as far as that, <laughs> but you've done a great job. Uh, filled with the fruits of righteousness. Um, how do the fruits of righteousness, righteousness come into our lives? How do the fruits of righteousness come into our lives? You can go to the prayer. It's actually Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, 10, and 11. Yes? Through Christ. Okay, Jimmy, I said don't put it up. 
Okay, so who was the first person to say that? Through Christ our Lord? Trina, <laughs> not you, okay? So who said it? Ah. <laughs> okay, for saying it in your heart and keep saying it in your heart. Eh? Very, very important. Come and pick your present. <laughs> keep saying it in your heart. Eh? Don't stop. Okay, excellent. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> okay, so if you missed out on uh, the present, listen carefully this week because next week there'll be again a similar test on the what we're going to study today. Okay, so... Um, spend time, some time just reflecting on what we are going to study. And you will have an opportunity to also have some presence. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, so the full prayer is Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. It goes 10 and 11. Um, I pray that your love will grow more and more together with true knowledge and perfect discernment. Perfect discernment. So that you'll be able to discern and to know what is best and so you become pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. Some versions say you'll be able to choose what is pure and blameless so that you, you remain, uh, what is pure so that you remain blameless um, up to the day of Jesus Christ. And you become filled with the fruit of righteousness. And that's our aspiration as believers, to be filled with the fruit that comes from being in right standing with God. The fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of his name. Amen. Now, when you study the, the prayers of the apostles, uh, people in the New Testament, when you study their prayers, it's really amazing what they prayed for. It's really, really amazing what they prayed for. But it's also amazing what they did not pray for, especially considering the circumstances that they were in. Imagine for one moment that you are in the time of Paul, that you've been arrested for being a Christian. Imagine you're living in prison where the food is lousy, the hygiene is terrible. You're exposed to all elements. This was before the times of central heating and air conditioning and fans. So whether there's extreme heat, you're exposed to extreme heat. Whether it's extremely cold and freezing, you're exposed to extreme cold. Imagine hearing that the people that you've relied on, people you've depended upon, have left you. They have deserted you. Imagine knowing that your closest friends and maybe relatives are in jail and some of them have been killed for their faith. Imagine having limited or no access whatsoever to your friends and to your relatives. Imagine living a time when a lot of the modern conveniences, things we take so much for granted, did not exist. No phones, no computers, um, no news. That might be good news for some people, but <laughs> no news at all. You're completely cut off from news. What would you pray for? What would you pray for? When we study the prayers of the apostles, we notice they really did not focus on any of these things that I've listed. It was not their prime focus. And I'm not saying they're necessarily bad things to pray for and to pray about. Certainly they have their place in our prayer. But it was not the primary focus of their prayers. Their prayers were, very, were focused very differently. And, you know, the reason why we study their prayers is because we want to be effective prayer people. I don't know about you, but certainly that's an ambition for me. I want to go down on my knees and pray effectively. Pray effectively for myself as well as for others. And that's why it's really worth it spending time and learning how the apostles prayed. 
So today we're going to look at another prayer by Paul the Apostles from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3, and we shall cover from verse 14 to 19. We shall take it a verse at a time. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. We start with verse 14. Okay, I presume you are there. Yes, thank you, Jimmy. Um, it starts off by saying this, for this reason, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul praying over the Ephesians. For this reason, before we go very far, we need to know what reason Paul was bowing his knees. Why is Paul praying for the Ephesians? You see, it's important to ask this question because the reason why you pray is just as important as the prayer itself. If not, probably more important. Your motivation for prayer, why are you praying? In the book of James, there is a very um, interesting statement that James makes to, to believers, and he says, um, the reason, you know, he points to the reason as to why we don't get our prayers answered. And he says part of it, or actually a large part of it, is because of the reason why you pray. You pray because you are looking for something for your own satisfaction, to spend it on your own lusts, your own craving. So reason is very, very important in prayer. When I pray, are my prayers selfish? Are they self-centered? Am I praying so that I can have an easy life, a convenient life? Things can conveniently fall in place. Is it focused on my will and my way? Because we are encouraged to pray prayers that are Christ-focused, Christ-centered. We are encouraged to pray prayers that are submitted to the will of God. They are focused on God's will being done, irrespective of whether it will cost me or not. What is God's will in this situation? Not how, how easy is it for me to maneuver through this situation. So Paul is praying for very specific reasons, and we shall see. Um, I'm going to just do a quick summary, but we shall delve into this. But basically, Paul is thanking God for what he, that is God, has accomplished amongst the Ephesians. He's really, really giving thanks to God for that. Um, he's thanking God about how the good news has been received and accepted, not just in Ephesus, uh, but also in the surrounding region of Asia, the area, the area that surrounded the, 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 the region of Ephesus at that time, that God's will was being done. The gospel was spreading dramatically throughout this region. He's also praying, the second thing he's praying for is specifically to these Ephesian believers. He's praying for spiritual stability, for spiritual growth, and spiritual maturity in the lives of the believers in Ephesus. He's praying that Christ is glorified in their lives. Let me take you back into the book of, into the relationship that Paul had with the Ephesians, because it's important for us to understand so that um, even as we read into this, it has a bearing. Um, some of the things that happened uh, with Paul when he was in, the, in this area of Ephesus, 
when Paul went to preach there. And for those of us who remember, who've been around for some time, I'm not going to ask questions or hand out prizes, but if you remember the book of Acts, we've just, we've just finished going through the book of Acts, and specifically in chapter 19, there's quite a lot of things that were mentioned about Paul's preaching in Ephesus. When Paul entered Ephesus, he met a group of believers who had been um, people who had followed John the Baptist, okay, but they had not had the good news. So that is one of the things that happened. Paul actually preached to them, um, told them the good news, and they converted. They became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, which means they were filled with power from on high. That's what baptism in the Holy Spirit does. It fills you with power, empowers you. The other thing that happened at Ephesus is that Paul stayed there for over two years. It's actually two years. And all the residents of Asia, what they called Asia at that time, the Jews, as well as the Greeks, had the word of the Lord. Imagine, no computers, no telephones, no modern means of transport, but effectively the word of the Lord was preached. The other major thing that happened in Ephesus is that many people who practiced magic arts and who were superstitious in the city of Ephesus were converted. Okay, if you remember, there was a lot of drama in the city of Ephesus. Lots of, um, you know, people who were converted came in and gave all their books that were dedicated to all these strange um, things, magic arts and so on. And it says, the, 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 the Bible says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail it wasn't just increasing, but it was prevailing mightily. So much so that there was a major riot that broke out in Ephesus, remember? And it took the city officials to come in and intervene. So Ephesus was a really, you know, it was something that impacted Paul quite a lot. And now Paul is in Rome, in the city of Rome, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's actually in prison, and he's trying, he's basically ministering and you can see his care, his love for the Ephesians, even as you read this letter. In chapter 1, Paul reminds the Ephesians of their identity and their positioning in Christ. He reminds them of their spiritual blessing, the spiritual blessings that they have as a result of who they are in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, he reminds them of the relationship that they have with God. Very, very important, the relationship that they have with God, how they are saved by grace. And it's not just ordinary grace, but rich, abundant grace. He uses really powerful words such as God is rich in mercy, great in love, immeasurably rich in grace. To really just remind the Ephesians of this amazing connection they have with the most powerful living God. They are saved as a result of all these things, the fact that he is rich in mercy, abundant, abundant in, in love, and immeasurably rich in grace. And then he tells them how they as Gentiles, or non-Jews, you know, Gentiles are people like us, people who were not, John, or not, were not born out of Jewish heritage, but were really people from the outside. How we were once far off, and now, because of the good news, we are established in God's family. In verse 19, it says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Okay? Um, and he calls this the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? It's really talked about quite a lot in the New Testament, the mystery of Christ. It's the fact that the Gentiles, people who were outside of the covenant of God, 
are now fellow heirs. We are now, we can now, we are now in, inside. We were outside and now we are inside of this rich heritage. We are fellow heirs. We are members of the same body. That is the body of Christ. And we are partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ. So everything that Christ inherited, we too are fellow partakers. We are joint heirs, is where he refers to us as joint heirs in some sections. In other words, simply by believing the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ, you become a part of the fellowship of the believers. You become a son of the living God. Imagine that. And together with Christ, you inherit the promises of God for you. Without doing anything, without shedding any blood, without paying any penny, this is what is accrued to you. It's freely given by God out of rich, abundant mercy. And this is the major reason that Paul is praying. So let's go deeper into this prayer. And we're going to dissect it verse by verse um, as we learn, first of all, how to pray for ourselves as well as how to pray for others. Uh, verse 14 to 16, <clears throat> we start off. We've, start, we've talked of verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Not that he connects us, uh, take note that he connects us as a family. We started this service by um, when Jerry mentioned about the fact that we are not solitary beings living on this earth. We are part of a family. Even if you come to church on your own and live on your own, you are actually a part of a family. And we have one Father, our God. So Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Thus, Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now God's desire for us, for every one of us, is that we live empowered lives. Lives that are full of power and full of ability, and that we operate from a position of strength and not of weakness. And so this prayer is very, very necessary, that we may be strengthened with power through his spirit. The Holy Spirit is our strengthener. This is how Jesus introduced him to us. He is our strengthener. All the power that you need to live on this life, an effective life, is available in the Holy Spirit. The good news is that when you have the Holy Spirit, then you have this power and this ability already resident on you, in you. All you need to know is learn how to operate in it. Learn how to release it in your inner being, that is in your heart and in your soul. So Paul's prayer was very, very unique. If you compare it to the prayers of today's time, you see, many Christians tend to pray that God will either remove their difficulties or reduce their difficulties. I don't know if you've examined your prayer life or examined my prayer life. It's about God remove this thing or God reduce this thing. But Paul was praying something different. Paul was not focusing on that. And I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. It's just that that was not his focus. His focus was instead 
Lord, increase the ability of the believers to actually go through this issue. Yeah? So it's not the size of your problem that's the problem. It's not the complexity of your problem that's the problem. The issue here is that you have the Holy Spirit and you have the ability to actually go through that challenge or that problem irrespective of how complex or how big it is. So Paul's prayer is that really you and I will learn how to release that capability and that ability on the inside of you so that you will go through with grace and with power. And this is very, very consistent with Scripture. One of my favorite verses is from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. And I want to just read it from the Amplified because it's so, so, um, it's so rich in how God um, operates with us in his power. Isaiah 41, verse 10. And it says, fear not, okay, for I am with you. Okay, are we amplified? Yes. Do not look around you in terror and be dismayed, for I am your God. And then this, this very strange sentence, I will strengthen you and harden you to difficulties. It doesn't say I will take away your difficulties. It says I will strengthen you and harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of rightness and justice. Nothing about taking away the problem. And I'm not saying this is, and you know, we shouldn't pray that. I mean, in the right time, in the right place, that's fine. But the focus of our relationship with God is really the fact that we are empowered as believers to go through whatever may come our way. Amen? Amen. So rather than praying that God take away your problem or focus on when will this problem disappear, Pray that his power, and I'm praying for each one of you this morning, that his power, which is resident in your spirit if you're a believer, that it will flow in your mind and in your heart to strengthen you even in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. I pray that you will grow in your capacity to rely on the Holy Spirit who will empower you when you do that. Amen? Then we go to verse 17. Verse 17 um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Okay, And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why would Paul pray that Christ would dwell in a believer's hearts through faith? In other words, let me put it in a bit differently. Why would you pray that Christ dwells in your heart? through faith. If you're a believer, and I believe all of you are, don't you already have Christ on the inside of you? So why would Paul pray that? Well, here's the thing. Yes, you do have Christ on the inside of you, and Christ does indeed dwell on the inside of every believer from the moment of salvation, from the moment that you're born again. There are many scriptures that affirm and attest to this. But I want you to look at two words in this verse. The first word is dwell, and the second word is faith. May Christ dwell, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Very critical. Let's look at each of them. Christ dwells in every believer from the moment of salvation, yes. But we do need to pray that this is a constant reality for us. 
for you and myself. We need to pray that we know the reality of Christ in us and that we will live in union. And from that union, we continuously be, that will be like our central point, that you and I have Christ indwelling on the inside of us and not live from occasional independence from him. In other words, once in a while you refer to Christ. When you are in trouble, you think of going to Christ. The issue here, what Paul is praying for and what he's really focusing on is that Christ dwelling on the inside of you is a constant, constant reality. So I pray that Christ will dwell in your heart constantly. How does he do that? Through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that's the second key word. Now some Christians pray that Christ will dwell in their hearts through feelings. Through feelings. In other words, unless you feel something, you don't believe he is in you. Unless you see evidence, you don't believe. You want to feel, you want to see before you believe. And, you know, you might look at this and say, well, that's not me. But if you've ever prayed prayers along the lines of, Lord, I want you to make me feel your love. Lord, I want to make you feel your peace. Lord, I want to make you feel more faith. I want, to, I want you to make me feel more of your faith. You are relying on God manifesting himself through your feelings, and that's very, very limited. Yeah? It's a bit like doubting Thomas, if you remember the story of doubting Thomas. And he said this, he said, unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails, referring to the crucified Christ, when they came to him and said, he's risen, he's risen. He said, unless I actually see from his hands the mark of those nails, and I touch his hands and I feel those, um, those nails, where the nails pierced, then I will never believe. That is not faith. And do you know what Jesus' response was when he eventually caught up with Thomas? He said, Thomas, blessed are they who have not seen, and yet they have believed. You have believed even though you have not seen. And your belief is consistent even when you do not see. You see, so for many of us, our belief tends to be in a gradient form. In other words, you pray about something or you desire something to happen in the physical, whether it's healing, whether it's prosperity. And then after some time, you keep monitoring. If things are not happening, your faith level drops. And you're like, Lord, you know, I don't see. I don't feel. And then you keep praying, you keep praying. You get quickened in this, inside of you. You keep praying, you keep praying. And then, if you don't see something, your faith level drops. That is living by sight instead of living by faith. So Paul's desire for the Ephesians, and indeed our desire for ourselves, should be that we have Christ dwelling in our hearts, his word dwelling in our hearts by faith. Faith is based on his word. Okay, faith is believing God simply because he said so. I'm reminded of a story um, about these two young boys who were um, talking about their birthdays. They were sitting next to each, to each other. They were young boys and were sitting next to each other. And one of them was really talking about how he believes his father loves him. He told, me, he told the other boy, he said, I know my father loves me. Because of my birthday, he brought me an iPad. He brought me a phone. He brought me a toy car. He brought me all these things. And the other boy was quiet. He was silent. 
And eventually when the other boy, the first boy, ran out of what to say, you know, all the things that the father had brought him, the other boy said, well, I know my father loves me because he told me so. So there's no evidence, it's just the word. If you believe the word, your faith is of very, very superior quality. That's what faith is. It's substance that is based on hearing the word of God. So Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, like I said, is really the same prayer that we should be praying for ourselves. And that is that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Okay? Verse 17 to 19. Verse 17 to 19. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Okay? I'm sorry, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I don't know about you, but um, when I look at this verse, it kind of changes the way that I think about uh, praying to God, particularly concerning love. It's, it's, it's often, you know, I, I, until I'd really spent time in this word, my prayer used to be, and I think this is um, Christians because, you know, it happens and you can observe it. People tend to pray to God to help them to love more, to have more faith. You know, prayers along the lines of, Lord, help me to love you more, or help me to love others more. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. However, there's a slight twist to Paul's prayer here. Paul prays something very slightly different, and, but very, very powerful. His prayer emphasizes, and he prays that believers will come to comprehend and know how much Christ loves them. How much Christ loves them. So, so the question here is not so much how much do you love God, the question is, do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how much he loves you? I pray that you will know the love of Christ. That should be the focus of our prayer. You know, at one time I was praying um, to God about someone uh, in my life who was really, really giving me a hard time. And so as I prayed, I listed to God all the issues that I had with this person, all the things that I believed they had done wrong, to me, and how they should change, how they should apologize, how they should realize that they are on the wrong. And I went on and on and on, and after I reached the end of this prayer, and might I add, it was a very long prayer, God said something to me that changed my view and relationship with this person. He said, Monica, you know how much that I love this person. I love this person just the way that they are. Without any change, without them changing, without them improving, without them radically having a transformation in their lives, God says, I love this person exactly the way that they are. And then God said to me, and I love you 
exactly the very same way, without you doing anything. I loved you, I love you in exactly the same way. He told me, and he broke down these components of love. He told me how he did not keep a record of their sins. He also did not keep a record of my sins. So all these things I was listing in front of him, he was like, I really don't remember. He says, I will remember their sins no more. And then he told me about how he believes in them. He believes in their ability to be, to be changed, and he's working for that change. And in the same way, he's working in my life because he believes the best of me. And he went on, just talking around love, how much he loved me. And really, it was amazing. I got an amazing revelation of God's love from that prayer session. So much so that my view and my perspective of this other person changed dramatically. And then, when it had changed, God then asked me to pray for them and said, what you need to pray for them is that they may get a revelation of the love that I have for them. It's slightly different, but very important. The issue is, do you have a revelation of how much God loves you? Paul prayed that the Ephesians might know the love of Christ. When you know how, much God, how, how good God is and how much he loves you, then Christianity becomes a joy. It really is. It becomes such a joy because your relationship with God is alive and it is vibrant, very much so. On the other hand, when you lose sight of how much God loves you, Christianity becomes dull and boring. Okay? It becomes just a mere set of religious activities that you do, a mere set of obligations and duties that you do, um, simply by tradition. Praying becomes boring. Reading the word becomes tedious and monotonous. And then coming to church, you have to drag yourself just to come to church. We need to do a quick check on our lives. If this is you, then we need to, you need to change, you need to repent, change your thinking, and focus on how much God loves you. How much God loves us. By the way, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians was very, very prophetic. Um, Paul prayed that they be rooted and grounded in God's love. It was a prophetic prayer because a few years later, this very church, the church in Ephesus, began to drift away. If you read from the book of Revelation, Jesus was speaking to the churches, and he speaks specifically to the church at Ephesus. And he says to the church at Ephesus, he tells them that despite their admirable works, despite all the good things they were doing, despite all these religious activities and how they were patient, they were enduring, they had lost sight or abandoned their first love. This is what Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus. And so Paul was really, really speaking into their lives prophetically and said, look, you need to remain grounded and rooted in Christ's love for you. And it's a lesson to all of us. A relationship with God should first, foremost, and always be based on God's love for us. I pray that every one of you here will be rooted and grounded in God's love, never drifting, but always anchored in it, stabilized in it, and growing in it. That's what it means to be rooted and grounded in love. And then, and then this next part, verse 19, will naturally happen. Verse 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. So as a result of being grounded, rooted, and nourished and stabilized in God's love, you will be filled with the fullness of God. You'll be filled with the fullness 
of God. Verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So being filled with the fullness of God is really the result of knowing and experiencing God's love for you, and it's a result of having a clear revelation of how much God loves you. So you become filled in all your being, your spirit, your soul, and your body with all the fullness of God. And as you do that, when you are filled with the fullness of God, you have increasing access. You have access to God Almighty. You have access to everything that he has for you. If you read the, if you read the New Testament, there's stories, lots of stories of uh, people who, had this, who were described as being full of. For example, Stephen was full of grace and power. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see this consistently throughout the scriptures. And then when he talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth and Stephen being full of grace and power, it then goes on to describe all these amazing things that they accomplished because of the power of the Lord that was working on the inside of them. They were filled with the power of God. They were filled to the fullness with the fullness of God. And so that's my prayer for you this morning, that you will be filled with all your being every one of you with the fullness of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's rise up. We're going to pray. Um, and as we pray, what I would like to do, we have about maybe five, ten minutes left. Um, five minutes. Um, as, as I pray <clears throat> um, and end the service, you can grab a cup of tea and then maybe sit with someone or sit in a group and just discuss how this has impacted you. This particular prayer, how will you incorporate it in your life? As well as pray for one another. Um, if there are issues, we talked about issues in our lives, how do we apply this prayer in these situations? To be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, to grow in love, to grow in the fullness of God, and all these things that we have mentioned. So let's rise to our feet. Father, we are thankful this morning for um, this message that we have had. Thank you for the prayer that Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. And indeed, the prayers of the saints, which serve an example to us. And Lord, I just pray that even as we leave this place, that these prayers will remain in our hearts, both for ourselves and also for others. I pray that the Holy Spirit, whom you have poured upon us, will lead us and guide us on how to apply these prayers in our lives. And Lord, I pray for every individual here that they will be filled throughout their being with the fullness of God, that they will have the richest measure of your divine presence, and that individually and together we become a body. So as a single person, and together as a family, that we will become a body that is wholly filled and flooded with you, O Lord, throughout the ages. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.